glad you're here. Amen. Praise the Lord. There's people here. Amen. It's a blessing. This, uh, Amen. this flu apparently is really bad. All right, let's turn our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Hebrews chapter number 10. Probably if you're waiting to get over the cough, you'll never be back. So, unfortunately, it's just the way it is. It's, uh, it seems to be one that lasts for a while, amen, but that's all right. You know what? We're not promised health. This flesh is frail, amen, but uh, we're glad you're here this morning. We're glad that those that uh, are able to watch uh, online, pray, continue to pray for Alexandra. She had a good report this morning. Things are going well. And uh, Lord willing, they'll be coming home today sometime, amen? And then Brother Taylor, they, they did some testing yesterday, and he's waiting for MRI results this morning, and they're hopeful that they'll be able to get out today. Uh, don't know what the prognosis is. The doctor told them something I'd never heard before, told them that everybody's prone to a day of seizures in their life. <laughs> That we all have the capability of having that and circumstances and situations and things of that nature can bring those on. But if, uh, you know, if more occur, then they may have to uh, uh, treat them with medicine on an ongoing basis and things like that. But anyways, pray for them. I, I know it was probably a very uh, difficult time, so I can't imagine what that would be like. But Taylor's doing well this morning and... Uh, so keep praying for them. And, of course, all the folks that just have the flu and what's going around and all that kind of good stuff. All right. This morning we are going to um, look at uh, another personal division that we find within Scripture. And i got to be honest with you, folks. This, uh, of probably all the things that I've said, and I, I feel like I've said this before, but I feel like this, of all the things that I've said, could help you understand Scripture in a way you may not previously have understood. And I realize that some of you may say, I've already heard this before. I'm going to just tune you out. Don't tune me out. You may be able to add something to what you think you already know. But the fact of the matter is that the majority of heresy comes from not understanding what I'm going to teach you this morning. And the majority of denominational churches... And let's just include any church that teaches that you cannot be eternally saved, but that your salvation is dependent on your works, is all because they do not understand from God's word what I'm going to teach you this morning. That's how important this is. And listen, if, if you don't believe this morning that you can be eternally saved, you will be eternally wrong. And you're never going to have victory in your life. It's, it's difficult to watch Christians struggle and frustrate themselves wondering if they're saved or if they're not saved. Amen? Your salvation hangs on Christ. And Christ does not fail. Your inheritance as a Christian hangs on your performance. And you can fail. Amen. So I, I want to show you this through the scripture and I hope, I hope that you'll understand and maybe settle this 
in your mind once and for all. Amen. And you can talk about this in a number of different ways. We, we use the terminology, uh, our standing and our state. We talk about our position versus our practice. You know, I remember my dad telling me when I was a child, you know, the value of our family name. Our family name is the lake name. And he said, you want to live and bring honor to that name. You don't want your name to be dishonorable. You know, in your community, when somebody brings up your name, you want that name to be an honor. And he said, if you act in this way or you act in that way, you'll bring dishonor to the name. You know, if I act in a way that's not honorable, I don't stop being Brandon Lake. Amen? But I bring dishonor to the name of Brandon Lake. And if you don't do well, if you act dishonorably, you don't cease to be a child of God. But you bring dishonor to the name of God. So that's what my attempt this morning is going to be to prove unequivocally from Scripture. You're going to have to have nimble fingers because we're going to be flying. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10. <coughs> Positionally, the believer, and if you're writing notes, you should write this. Positionally, the believer is perfect forever. I don't know if you realize this, but there is a part of you that can not sin. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 14, the Bible says this, For by one offering, what offering was that? Particularly what he did on the cross of Calvary. One offering. He hath perfected how long? Forever. Forever. Them that are sanctified. Are you sanctified? Everybody, are you sanctified? All right, if you are, then you're perfected, right? For how long? Forever. So you are forever perfected if you're sanctified this morning. And sanctified doesn't have to do in this particular context with what you're doing. Sanctified is your position in Christ. We are perfected forever, them that are sanctified. Now, there's ditches on both sides of this teaching. One ditch, which we'll talk about later, is lordship salvation. And the other ditch is a failure to believe in the eternal security of a believer's soul. And so we'll look at both of those things. So it, positionally, we are perfect forever because we're sanctified by the one offering of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Now look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Now if you do not recognize the difference between your standing and state or your position and your practice then you're going to find a contradiction right here between Hebrews 10, 14 and Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. And is there any contradictions in God's word? Okay, so there's a reasonable explanation for what we're going to read. <coughs> Philippians chapter 3, verse number 12. The Bible says here, Not as though I had already atta attained, either were already perfect. Do you see the apparent contradiction? It would seem that Hebrews, Paul is telling us that we through one sacrifice are perfected forever who are sanctified. And Paul here is telling the Philippians, he said, I, don't, I haven't attained. 
I haven't attained that. Neither am I already perfect. But notice, but I follow after. Now, do you follow after Christ for salvation? No, you don't. What do you do? You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. You follow after Christ to be like him. Amen. He said, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So can we say safely in this verse that there is a part of Paul that is apprehended and a part that is not apprehended yet? He said, this, there's an aspect of perfection that I have and an aspect that I don't have yet. The part that I'm following after, I haven't apprehended. But he says that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. What he's trying to tell you is that his state, his position in Christ, he has apprehended that because why? We learned in Hebrews that that is not dependent on his works. That was dependent upon one offering. The offering of Jesus Christ. And it perfected him forever, right? That's his state. Or that's his standing, sorry, in God. That's his position. But he said, I'm still practicing something. There's another aspect of this that I have not attained. He said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the salvation of God. No. No. The high calling of God. He's not pressing for salvation. Amen. He's not seeking to apprehend salvation. He's already apprehended that. He's already attained that salvation. So positionally we learn that we are perfect forever. But in our practice, practically speaking, do I have to convince you you're not perfect yet? You haven't apprehended that perfect standing yet? Amen? <clears throat> the reason so many Christians don't know if they're saved one day to the next is because they do not distinguish between their standing and their state or their experience and their position in Christ. So I want to show you this from God's Word. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. And again, I said there'll be a lot of scriptures, but that's okay. You look a little tired, so maybe this will keep you awake. Amen? Ephesians chapter... That's one thing that goes along with this little virus is just tired, man. You're just tired all the time. But uh, that's okay. You can have Sunday afternoon nap. If you're not going to Fifth Sunday Fellowship. If you are, no nap for you. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. So let's talk first about our standing. Because this is the part that's settled. This is the part that's settled. You know when you bought a home? It's your home. Right? But you can have a fixed or variable interest rate. Amen? You, you can choose either one. I'm glad that I chose about three years ago a fixed interest rate because I'm locked in at 1.9% interest. Now it's over five. Thank you, Mr. Trudeau. <laughs> you can thank him when you kick him out of office, amen? <clears throat> but anyhow, fixed or very, we're talking about this is fixed. This is settled. 
Do you believe that the, the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary is finished? Amen. Or do you think he has to crucify again? Okay? That's settled, right? That's fixed. You can't alter Calvary, right? Amen. Now, if you believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation and the finished work of the gospel, your salvation is finished. Amen. It's done. Because there's not even a teeny weeny little bit that depends on you. Yeah. It all depends on what he did. When a person believes on Jesus Christ, his dead spirit is born again. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you have to be quickened who were dead in trespass and sins, where in time past he walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Amen, that's how we were. But God, in verse 4, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, verse 6, and hath raised us up together. Just as Christ was raised, you were raised. Now, just let your mind settle on that for a second. Just as Christ was raised. Do you think Christ is going to die again? No, he finished it. Therefore, just as he was raised, you were raised. You're not going to die again. You got eternal life. That's right. Well, I well, I just think you can lose it. You think he's going to lose his life again? No. Folks, it's settled in him. Amen. When you get saved, your dead spirit is born again, and you are placed into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. Now ye are the body of Christ and members of in particular, I, I just cannot fathom, and I can't preach this strongly enough, because you never have victory until you understand this. I cannot fathom how Christ could have gone to Calvary and finished the work of Calvary and saved our never dying souls, and then all the things we're going to talk about you realize what happens if you could lose your salvation, that spirit which he gave life to would have to die again. You think about all that. You who are put into the body of Christ are now ripped out of the body of Christ. And people think they get saved and lose it every day. Well, except the ones that you really talk to. They're the ones that never lose their salvation. You lose it and your kids lose it, but they don't. So if you believe you can lose your salvation, that means when you got put into the body of Christ, now you're ripped out of it. When your spirit was born and given new life, it's dead again. We are given at salvation a new position and a new standing in Christ. We're no longer standing before God in this wicked flesh awaiting the judgment of God. Amen. We are perfect and complete in Christ. Look at Colossians 2. And I want you to turn to these because I want you to know I'm not making this stuff up. <clears throat> Folks, I, I, I'm here to tell you, to believe you can lose the salvation that Christ perfectly gave to you is a heresy. And you need to repent of it. It's a heresy. Amen. There's no other way for me to put it at this point. Amen? Your, your soul is eternally secured because the work of Christ is eternally finished. That's right, He's set down. Amen? Amen? We are complete. 
Colossians 2.10 says, And ye are what? Complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. He's the head of what? All power. That means whatever power you think you possess to be able to take back your salvation, he's head over it. Amen? He's stronger than it. Amen? That means if you believe you can lose your salvation, that Jesus Christ made you complete, but you're more powerful than he is, and you are able to make yourself incomplete again. you got to think about it this way. Now you've made yourself incomplete. Now you've ripped yourself out of Christ's body. Now you have uh, uh, imperfected what Christ perfected. Who do you think is God anyway? Amen. Amen. And this was all made possible for us by the operation of God. This is quite a surgery that is performed here. Look at Colossians chapter 2. We're right there. Look at verse 11. This is not a physical cutting. We know that. This is a spiritual operation. You remember Hebrews 4.12? Let's think about this for a second. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of what? Now let's pause. Dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. You know what this operation of God is that we're about to read about? It is literally where the word of God comes inside of you and cuts, divides your soul from your body and you're filled with the spirit of God. It is a, look at the procedure, Colossians 2. You become a doctor here, a, a doctor of the operations of God here. Look at verse 11. In whom also ye are circumcised. That's a surgical procedure. With the circumcision, look, made without hands. So this is not a physical cutting. This is a spiritual thing in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Literally, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, cuts your soul away from your flesh. <coughs> Buried with him in water baptism. Is that what it says? No. This is not water baptism. Water baptism is a picture of spiritual baptism. Amen. This is the baptism that Jesus told Nicodemus about in John chapter 3 when he said that which is born of uh, flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. He said uh, you must be born of water and of the spirit. This is that baptism. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh have he quickened or made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespass. So there is a literal operation. You know, if you believe you can lose your salvation, you have to undo God's operation that he made without hands. Boy, you're so powerful. I don't want to mess with you. Amen. You seem to be the one in control of your eternal destiny. No, no, you can't undo what God does. Amen. If that sort of the spirit divides us under soul and spirit, you're not putting it back together. 
And why would you want to? Amen. Once a believer's sinful flesh is separated and divided from his soul and spirit, he'll never have to worry about his soul sinning ever again. You say, are you saying we're sinless? That's not what I said. Yeah. I said there's a part of you that never sins. Look at Ezekiel chapter 18. Your soul, if you're saved here, your soul will never sin. It'll never sin again. That's right. Now remember, your soul is now separated from your body, right? right? Think about a football. Think about a football. You got the pig skin on the outside. Then inside there's a rubber bladder. And then inside of that, there's a, you know, a, a air. Think about an egg. It's got a shell. It's got a white. It's got a yolk. You ever go to the go to the store and they're selling egg whites, no yolk? You know what they did? They separated the yolk from the white. When God saved you, He separated your soul from your sinful body. Right. You'll know if I walked down here and I slapped Skyler right side of the face, that would hurt his body, but it couldn't hurt his soul. Yeah. It's dip, they're separate things. Yeah. And your soul that God saved and filled with his spirit can never sin. But your flesh still can sin. This outward temple, tabernacle thing, it can sin. Look at Ezekiel 18.20. The soul that sinneth, what? It shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wages of sin is, you should die, but you know what? You have eternal life. But we could physically die because this physical body is still sinful. But our soul will never die. Amen. Never. Amen. See? It's sinless. Our soul is sinless. Our body still sins. It's still subject to the law of Romans 6.23. But the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. Neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. And the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. So the soul that sins, it dies. That's why the lost, amen, their soul still sins. You know why it does? It's still attached to their body. They've not experienced the operation of God. Is this making sense? Yeah. They've not experienced the operation of God that's made without hands. It's still attached. We're disattached. So even though this body may sin, this soul is settled. It's perfect. It's never going to sin. Amen? Look at 1 John 3. The part of us that is born again, that's our soul. Would you agree with me that our bodies, our physical bodies are not born again? Amen. They're going to die, friend. They're deteriorating as we speak. <laughs> Did you look in the mirror this morning? <laughs> Man, I got to tell you, I just about had a heart attack this morning. I, I, I have to put this a little bit of stuff in my hair so it doesn't go off, you know, look like Albert Einstein thing. And I got a glob of something right there. And I, I tried to pull it, and I'm already going, but I tried to pull it out, and man, my hair came with it. And I'm like, man, I, 
This is not good. I'm already balding. I don't need to be ripping my hair out by the handfuls, you know. We are deteriorating. You know, it's not easy to put this on, but it's hard to take it off. These bodies, man, they're deteriorating. Every Sunday morning I get up after hockey on Saturday night, I'm reminded I am deteriorating. It was a blessing to hear one of the young boys say, man, I'm sore this morning. I say, yes, he's dying. Yes, we're all dying, this physical body. But the soul is never going to die. It doesn't, why? It doesn't sin. Our soul doesn't sin. The part of us that's born again does not sin because our standing and position in Christ is forgiven. 1 John 3, 9, you say, here, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Do you know if you believe that generically, nobody could get saved. You realize that? The thing is, you have to understand your soul and your body. By the way, the Bible puts it in this order, spirit, soul, and body. We put it this way, body, soul, spirit. Amen? 1 John 3, 9, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Are you born of God? Amen. Then the real you does not sin. Your soul doesn't sin. And it doesn't have to because it's not connected to your body. For his seed remaineth in him. When you get born again, you're born of incorruptible seed. By the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. The seed that, born, that you were born again by cannot be corrupted. Right. Now if there was no operation of God, our flesh would corrupt our soul. But because they're separate, because the yoke's been taken out of the white, Amen? That seed does not corrupt. And he cannot sin. Why? Because he is born of God. Amen? Colossians 2.13 And you, being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of flesh, having quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You know what all trespasses are? They're your past ones. They're your now ones. And they're the ones you're going to do. They're forgiven. <coughs> Amen. You've got to see that that operation of God separates your soul from your body. Does everybody understand that? Give me a little Amen. naughty head. Amen. All right, good. Amen. You've got to remember, everything in nature is a tripartite. You say, I know all this stuff. Not everybody here does. We are a three-part being. Amen? Body, soul, and spirit. The invisible things of God are made clear to us and seen through the things that he made. You know everything? I had a guy one time come to me and say, it's amazing how God did everything in twos, a man and a wife. And, a, and I'm like, what are you? A man and a wife and children, or a man and wife. A tree is three parts. A flower is three parts. There's water and air and earth Everything's in threes. Why? God wanted you to know his eternal power and Godhead through the things he made. Amen. Why? So that we're without excuse. That's what he said. Amen. And you, we, so we've got to see that God's master creation, which is mankind, we're three parts. We're a body, physical, that we can see. 
We're a soul. That's who we truly are. If you want, want some people say it's you know it's the uh, it's the real you. It's the one that exercises will and has emotion and all that kind of stuff. And then the spirit. When you're when you're lost before salvation, the spirit's dead inside of you, and your soul is attached to your body. But when you get saved. The Spirit of God, simultaneously, the Spirit of God quickens you, makes you alive inside, while the Word of God is performing that operation of cutting your soul away from your physical body so that you don't have to sin. You know, when we sin as Christians, we choose to. We choose to. We choose to allow the lusts of our flesh to control our spirit rather than allowing the spirit. You know, that's why Paul told the Ephesians, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the spirit. We need a filling of the spirit. You know, Brother Mark talked last week a lot about the presence of God. You want to know how to get the presence of God? When the people of God get filled with the spirit. That's how you have the presence of God. And when he's not around, guess what you know? People are not filled with the spirit. They're drunk on the things of this world and the lusts of their flesh. Yeah, right. Amen. Our spirit is literally joined to the Lord through this operation of God, through this spiritual baptism that we've already talked about. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. We're joined unto the Lord. We're espoused to the Lord. Amen. We're espoused in. Do you know what you believe? If you believe you can lose your salvation, that you can undo becoming part of the Lord's body himself, that you can unjoin yourself from the Lord. Because he promised to never leave you nor forsake you. So if anybody's leaving, it's you. Amen. So you're more powerful than God is. Because he promised he'd never leave. And you say, well, I'll just leave him. Folks, it doesn't work that way. Right. It doesn't work that way. You're not more powerful than what Christ did on Calvary. And you ought to thank God for that each and every day. Amen. Fortunately, the new birth produces a spiritual circumcision that cuts the soul away from the body. Praise the Lord. And as such, our standing is fixed and cannot be changed. Amen. Let me give you an example of this. You've read Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, that says all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Let me ask you something. Have you ever lied? <coughs> then what does that verse tell you? Okay. So how do we explain this? Do you think you're going to the lake of fire? Are you saved? Are you going to the lake of fire? Have you lied? Okay, then, you're going to the lake of fire. Prove me wrong. <laughs> your, your soul is not a liar. You may lie, but your soul never lies. You know when you lie and that prick comes... It doesn't prick your flesh. It pricks your soul. 
Why? Because your flesh is going against the spirit of God that has filled your soul. And your soul is telling your flesh, you're an idiot. <laughs> this is not my nature anymore. This is not who we are. We are perfect in Christ. Why are you lying, you little liar? Amen. In our soul, in who we really are, you know what? These bodies are going to pay with that if the Lord doesn't come first. But our soul does not lie. Our soul is filled with the Spirit of God. That's why, by the way, you know, we're told not to quench the Spirit, not to resist the Spirit, not to grieve the Spirit. You know, I do believe that Christians can get to a place where they lie so much that the Spirit is so grieved that he doesn't even really bother them over it that much anymore. Or they don't feel him bothering them about it anymore. Yeah. They have become insensitive. They have not become unsaved. They have become insensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God. So, in Christ, as our standing, we do not sin. Our soul does not sin. Our flesh sins. But remember, they're separate things now. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. Oh, I felt very Anglican saying that. <laughs> Thanks be to God. <laughs> Thank God. Amen? So, we're not... Our, who we really are, our soul. And this is where the pit comes. Because I could say this morning that I'm not a sinner. And that would be a correct statement. My soul does not sin. In Christ, as far as my standing is concerned, I'm not a sinner. So there's a group of people that take that. They, they, they take that and they say, well, once you're born again, you can't sin anymore. That's because they don't understand the operation of God, that our soul is not connected with our body. That's right, yeah. Your soul is floating around inside of you, filled with the Spirit of God, I hope. Mm -hmm. Amen? But made alive, whether it's filled or not. It's been made alive. Right. It's in there. The problem is when you become more fleshy than spiritual, then you get in trouble. Not with your salvation. But with your state, with your practice, say, I don't understand how a saved person could do that. They must not be saved. Well, I'm not obviously not going to have time this morning, but I do have a part in here about the fruit inspectors. Where people use verses that do not even apply to church age saints and say, well, by their fruits, you will know them. You know that's talking about false prophets, not born again believers in the church age, don't you? What are you going to walk around and be a little fruit and well, I saw Brother Michael the other day. He didn't, I just didn't take a, and I I've been watching him and I just don't think he's born again. What are you little fruit inspector? God appointed you that, huh? God, God's going to let you stand as judge and jury over who's saved and who's not. That, those verses don't even apply to us in the church age. The other one is in James chapter 2, verse 18. And guess who that's written to? The 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. That's not you. So stop inspecting other people's fruit and take care of your own life. 
That's where Pharisees come in. Well, I've just been watching Brother So-and-so, and and I I don't know how they could do that and be born again. I don't know how you could be so judgmental and be born again. That's right. I'll leave that to the Lord. I'll just preach the devil out of people and let the results turn out to God. That's my job. Preach Scripture. Amen. The Holy Spirit does the convicting. It's not my job to, you know, have one-on-ones with Brother Allen to figure out if he's really saved. Amen. There's days if you follow me around, you probably wonder about me. Bad attitude, fussing. And same as you. Amen. You know, in Christ, we are saints. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Amen? We are forgiven. We are justified. We are redeemed. Amen? We are made part of Christ's body. And if you believe you can lose it, you believe you can undo all that that Jesus Christ did. That's craziness. That's craziness. And that's why I'm saying the majority of major denominations out there and the majority of heresies begin with a failure to understand this. Now, I'm going to try to talk about our state really quickly, so you listen fast, and I'll give you this fast. A believer's standing is what we've been talking about. A believer's position in Christ is what we've been talking about. Now we're going to talk about his, how we live, our practice, and our our. Our state, our our current state, I don't know you. You may have walked in here this morning just as ungodly and unright with God as the devil himself. Bad attitude, critical, looking around saying, well, they could have been here and they're not here. I don't know what's their problem. They're not that sick. You know, that could have been your spirit this morning. I don't know. But that's the state that you're in. Maybe you came in here this morning and the sun was shining outside and the sun was shining inside and you said, you know what, I'm here for God and it doesn't matter who else is here. I'm just going to worship the Lord and have a good time in the Lord today. Maybe that's that's your state. Whatever attitude you came in here, that's your practice. That's your state, amen? And that state and practice doesn't have to do with our salvation or standing with God. It has to do with our fellowship with God. Our standing is fixed, permanently settled, but our state can fluctuate dependent upon our obedience to God. Amen? Listen, I don't have to convince anybody here. You've had times as a Christian where you've been really up, really just feeling like God's hand was upon you, really just feeling like, I want that mountain, it belongs to me. And there's been other days, woe is me. Woe Paul had those days. One day he was pressing toward the mark and the pride of the high calling, and the next day he was saying, oh, wretched man that I am. Paul had that. His state fluctuated. Dependent upon our obedience towards God. Listen, remember we talked about our soul. Our soul separate from our body. Our soul does not what? It does not sin. It is perfect before God. But boy, now that we're talking about our state, our our practice, the flesh comes into play, boy, doesn't it? Amen? Our flesh, the Bible says, look at Romans 7.25. Our soul serves God. Our soul is perfect in Christ. But our flesh serves the law of sin. Romans 7.25, he says, I thank God 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. That's when Paul started saying that, you know, the things that I wish I would do, I'm not doing those things, and the things I don't want to do, that's what I'm doing, and oh, man, wretched man that I am. You know, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about his standing. That's settled. But he's talking about his practice. Our flesh is sinful flesh. The old nature, this old flesh, the Bible calls it in Ephesians 4.22, the old man. It calls it in 2 Corinthians 4.16, the outward man. That's what's, you know, this is the thing, folks. People, people see this. This is why I don't wear Hawaiian shirts and Bermuda shorts on the platform. Because people, before they hear what comes out of my mouth that comes from my soul, they see this. And that's why you shouldn't wear that either. And that's why you should be conscious about what you wear, how you talk, how you present Christ to the world because they see this. Amen? They see this. They hear this. It's the outward man. Uh, Romans 7, Paul called it the wretched man. If there's anything wretched about me, it's this body of flesh. It's wretched. Amen? Wouldn't you say with me, and, and, and if you can't and you profess to be saved, you need to re-examine. But couldn't you say with me that your desire of your heart is to please God? Amen. I want to please God. I want to do the will of God. You know the problem between you and that? It's this. Amen. This is full of lust Amen. and envy Amen. and bitterness. Listen. If you don't believe that, you have never read the Pauline epistles. Because in every single one of them, Paul talks to people who can succumb to the lusts of their flesh. Amen? You know, there would not be a single overweight person if we didn't have the flesh. Right? There would not be a single addiction or habit that you have you couldn't break if it wasn't for your flesh. Amen, Amen? Because God's in control of your soul. But the problem is we're fleshly. Mm -hmm. Amen? And that's why when it gets real convicting is when you start looking at yourself and you realize, you know, remember Brother Osteen said that when he finally decided to do something about his weight, it's because God told him he was living in a body full of sin. He said, I have to take care of it because God impressed on him that what he had was too much and that it was sinful. Because he was overindulgent. Amen. It could be anything for any one of us. Some people, it's their fashion. They care so much about what they look like on the outside. And by the way, thank God you do. I'm all for deodorant. I'm all for looking pretty and dressing hands. I'm all for that. But it's not more important. Amen. You know, Paul spoke to the Corinthian church. Well, the Corinthian church had some problems. Big problems, amen? But he talked to them in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 11 about, he said that there are contentions among you. They were contentious people. Remember, they, some were saying, well, I'm a Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm a Cephas. Well, I, you know. He said there's, there's contentions and divisions. He talked to them in chapter 3 about how carnal they were, full of envying and strife and divisions. He talked to them in chapter 4 verse 18 about how puffed up they were. 
He talked to them about 1 Corinthians chapter 5, about how there was fornicators among them, and they were puffed up about that. The Colossians were told to put off anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy communication out of their mouth. The Ephesians were warned about being drunk with wine. The Galatians were cautioned that they should avoid adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lascivious, all those works of the flesh. Amen? So no matter what age where you live in, we struggle with this old flesh. It's rough stuff. Amen? This flesh is bad stuff. And the works of the flesh do not affect our salvation, but they have damaging results on our life. Amen? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. You know, sinful living will bring you to death faster than righteous living will. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Why did he tell children to honor their father and the mother? Exactly. There are things you can do, righteous living, that you can do that will bring longevity. Right. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And there's sinning you can do that will bring death. Yeah. Right. Amen. And the Bible talks about that in Romans chapter 1 when he talks about sodomy. Yeah. And he tells them that they will reap in their bodies the recompense of the reward. Listen, AIDS, you say AIDS came from monkeys. Well, don't make me describe how humans got it then, please. And those same monkeys, amen, sodomized each other and passed around all this venereal disease, and God said he'd do that. He said, I'm going to give them in their own bodies the recompense of their reward. You know, people don't like that stuff, but it's... It's not just for sodomites either. It's for fornicators in general. You're putting yourself in a... I can't imagine these people running around bragging about how many people they've been with. That's disgusting. That's disgust. That's, that's abominable to God. But then so also is your lies. And your envyings. Amen. The Bible says that when we do these things, we sow corruption in our life. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 8, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. You're going to reap corruption in your life by sowing to this flesh. Galatians 4, 3 tells us we will be brought into bondage under the elements of this world. It'll bring you the judgment and chastening of God in 1 Corinthians 11. It'll bring you loss of reward at the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 3, 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Yeah. The, the sin that you do in your flesh does not affect your salvation. Yeah. It affects your fellowship. Yeah, it is. <coughs> Amen? So then real quickly here, just I already alluded to this, but uh, the fruit inspectors. We don't need a bunch of people running around examining other people's lives as to whether or not they think that person's saved or not. Right. Amen. The fact of the matter is, if in Acts 13 you had met John Mark after he defected from Paul, you probably would have said, how can he do that? He's not saved. Yeah. Mm. Or you may consider Demas, amen, who left his first love. He went out there to the world and think, well, Demas wasn't saved in the first place. Oh, yes, Demas was. Right. And still was after he went to the world. Right. 
Why? You can't alter your soul's state, standing. You're, it's settled. It's made perfect. It's complete. Remember, you can't undo what Christ did. 